it's that troubling where also if three people are gathered together in a park and kick over a trash can that suddenly could be defined as a riot in a really lucid or there's three people in a park and they look and they're about to kick over a trash can that could be defined as a riot it's really these vague laws which are problematic where you see a lot of things it it's problematic in the fact that police can step in and say this clearly looks like a riot we're going to shut it down and we're going to arrest you even if it really is a riot that kind of straight face test well it's the letter of the law and we were just upholding the law that is david borman i'm Dwayne lester and this is top priority Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. I'm Dwayne Lester. Today's top priority is free expression. Specifically, we're talking about the difference between protests and riots, and we're also talking about some troubling legislation being proposed that can impact your free speech rights. Our guest today is David Borman. He's the senior policy analyst with Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And in the conversation that follows, you might hear us use terms like community and vision. You can hear us talk about mutually reinforcing principles. And before we get to the interview, let's talk about what those mean. Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the Grassroots Leadership Academy are part of the Stand Together community. And a link to the Stand Together website is included in the show notes. Each episode, we focus heavily on how our vision guides our decision in the different specific areas of focus we try to impact. And we call these areas priority initiatives. We sometimes abbreviate them to PI or PIs. Now, our vision is very ambitious. We break barriers that stand in the way of people realizing their potential. This moves our society towards one of mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others improve their lives. This vision is built upon four mutually reinforcing principles, which we'll also discuss. The principles are equal rights, mutual benefit, openness, and self-actualization. You can find the vision and the four mutually reinforcing principles also in the show notes. Now, let's talk with David about protests, riots, and the dangerous legislation being proposed across the country. Aside from from COVID-19, there was one thing that seemed to be constant in 2020, and that was a protest somewhere, sometime. And that's what I really want to talk with you all today about. Um, help me understand, first of all, what what is some of like the protest law 101? Help me understand what are what are the laws surrounding protest? I know the the First Amendment basically says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Protesting is clearly free expression. So what are some of the laws then surrounding this exercise of free speech? Thanks, Dwayne. It's interesting because a lot of people with protest, there's the five freedoms that are protected under the First Amendment. And the right to protest these kind of anti-protest laws that we see pop up not only encompass the freedom of expression, but also the freedom to peaceably assemble and also the freedom to petition your government. So there's really three core freedoms within the First Amendment that are all implicated when people gather together uh, to protest. So everybody basically has the right to protest peacefully. 
Yes, the right to peaceably assemble, to petition the government. You, it could be a silent protest. You know, that's, it's all of those, it's those three freedoms that are, that are bundled together, that are all implicated. There are time, place, and manner restrictions that the government can impose. We see this with some of the more bigger rallies, or if it's on federal land, where the government can require a the government can require a permit depending on how many people are there or if they have a, a reasonable expectation for, for crowd control. But those are those have to be content neutral and they have to they have to abide by strict scrutiny, which is they have to be narrowly tailored to serve a compelling government interest and they have to be the least restrictive way to do that. So when we start start talking about protesting, a lot of these protests just seem to happen. Uh, are you saying that legally they could say, well, you can't protest because you don't have a permit. Uh, you can't protest here. Is that is that what you're saying? Like, I know after George Floyd, there were protests all over the place. I can't imagine that they said, well, you know, let me go to City Hall and get a permit for this protest. These things just happened. It sounds like what you're saying is that actually could be seen as an illegal protest. No, the Supreme Court has been very clear that spontaneous gathering spontaneous assemblies and spontaneous protests that arise from the news of the day cannot be can't have to require a permit okay that makes sense and help me understand a little bit clearer what you mean by restrictions they must be applied equally regardless of content help me clarify that yeah it has to be content neutral meaning the government can't determine what is the content of the speech? What is the content of the protest? And based on that content, we're going to either allow that protest or deny that protest. They can't say, we're going to allow an assembly, a gathering, a rally to celebrate a World Series championship, for example, but we're not going to allow a rally to argue for Black Lives Matter or pro-life, the, the March for Life, for example. It has to be content. It has to be really viewpoint neutral. That way, the government isn't uh, isn't basically judging good speech versus bad speech, what is allowed and what isn't. Exactly. So let me let me talk about what what we saw January sixth was a, was basically a rally that turned into a protest that turned into something worse, and out of that, and and maybe even earlier than that from George Floyd, we're seeing. We're seeing legislation, not, you know, maybe on the city level, the state level, federal level regarding protests. There's protests and anti-riot legislation that's popping up all over the place. Some people see these as good. Some people think, yeah, we need to, to clamp down on this, uh, which is which is really scary and very short sighted. Because as as I've said a 100 times, probably on this podcast, your tribe's not always going to be in power. One of these days, you know, you're what you perceive as your enemy. They're going to have the power that you gave to your own tribe. And when you start giving government the power to clamp down on speech, eventually that will be used against you. What are some of the threats that you're seeing from this protest anti-riot legislation? I'm really glad you asked because I've got a list of about 10 of them and I can really walk out on policy provisions here. Let's do it. That's why we're here. All right. I'm, you know, first of all, you know, we support the right to protest, the right to peaceably assemble, the right to petition the government, the right to to gather together for social change. 
we understand the concerns that certain leaders have had, that certain you know legislators have had when you saw what happened in Portland. I think that's what really those pictures of trying to burn down the federal courthouse, it, some of the really unrest we saw with with Wendy's restaurant being burned. I want to make clear that is not protest. That is not protected speech. Um, we understand the concerns they have. The problem is a lot of this legislation goes over the top. There's there's vague, there's definite, there's concerns, first of all, that there's really vague definitions of what a riot is, of what an unlawful assembly is under the law. So you take a, a baseline vague definition, which allows, which allows police, which allows government, which allows prosecutors to really determine who they want to charge, who they want to arrest and what protests they want to shut down. And then you couple that with a lot of the penalties that we see for participating in a riot or an unlawful assembly that really is life-changing for people and will chill speech. And that's really where our concerns come in. It sounds like what you're saying is they're almost defining a riot the same way that they once defined pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And it's it's giving then the local, the local police powers the ability to make that judgment call then and say, oh, well, this is a riot. Or is it is it defined so loosely or so, I don't know, not so loosely, but so ridiculously that almost anything can be defined as a riot? That's it. It's that it's so loose that really anything can be defined as a riot. In some states, it's a gathering of three or more people with the purpose to cause violence or a gathering of three or more people where a lawless act is imminent or there's the significant threat of damage to property. So that sounds like pre-crime. Are, are we in the minority report now? There are, yes. I, it's that troubling where also if three people are gathered together in a park and kick over a trash can, that suddenly could be defined as a riot in a really loose Or there's three people in a park and they look and they're about to kick over a trash can. That could be defined as a riot. It's really these vague laws which are problematic where you see a lot of things. It, it's problematic in the fact that police can step in and say, this clearly looks like a riot. We're going to shut it down and we're going to arrest you, even if it really is a riot. That kind of straight face test. Well, it's the letter of the law and we were just upholding the law. I'll give, I'll give an example of what could be, uh, you know, a, an unlawful assembly or a riot is, you know, the, the March for Life that happens in D.C. every January. And you've got tens of thousands. And I think recently there were maybe up to 100,000 people. And I don't think I think this is far from what anyone would describe as a riot or an unlawful assembly. You know, it's it's a very peaceful protest. It's all of these people marching in support of, you know, anti-abortion legislation and policies. But it is illegal to litter on federal land and in the District of Columbia. And if you've ever seen kind of the aftermath of this, there's just so many people. And this is really any gathering on the National Mall where there's a lot of people. But there's so many people and not enough trash cans that people will kind of gather the trash around the trash can. That could violate the black letter law, the definition of littering. Therefore, these people are littering. Therefore, it's an unlawful activity during this march. Therefore, this march, this rally is an unlawful or a, a riot. And then they, what, arrest everybody there? 
or make a few examples? They could. That's the it's uh, and a lot of these places make it illegal to participate in a riot or an unlawful assembly or to attend a riot or an unlawful assembly. So say you're there, you're at a rally, you're at a you know multi-block demonstration and somebody two blocks over is causing a problem, suddenly it determines this is no longer you know a peaceful protest, a peaceful assembly, we're going to determine this a riot and now all of a sudden you're getting arrested because you're participating in the riot or you're attending the riot. Again, that that gets to that vague definitional problem we have. Who's pushing this? I guess I, I, I want to know who's really the most concerned about the riots. Are we seeing this from from legislators or is this something from the, the grassroots being pushed up? Is this a top down push? Is it more, uh, I guess, more posturing to actually look good so you can get the next election? Where's this coming from? This really started about last fall with Governor DeSantis in Florida. I think it was, you know, you you had former President Trump running on the the law and order, the fight crime in our cities, and really going after kind of the what we saw in Portland and a lot of the Black Lives Matter, George Floyd protests. Really, this started with DeSantis held a press conference. I think it was keeping community safe actor something along those lines where he had a, a proposal of all of these various penalties, provisions that he was going to do to kind of stop the violence from happening in Florida. From there, we saw Governor Abbott in Texas jump on this. And then we saw kind of more and more legislators getting on the bandwagon. And we were hopeful that a lot of these would, would subside, would die down after the election. And instead, what we've seen is state legislators really rushing to to introduce these and to get these passed. I, I don't think there's really an organization, but I do think it's top down in the fact that these are legislators that are seeing what other states are doing and then really promoting similar bills. We see a lot of the same provisions. For example, one that's been really popular is that if you are convicted of you know, various crimes, participating in a rally, attending a rally, et cetera, or a riot, et cetera, you lose government benefits. Um, so you lose, you know, you can lose unemployment benefits. You can lose housing. You can lose Social Security. You can lose STAMP. You can lose WIC. Uh, you know, some states that's for six months, some states that's for the rest of your life. So we've seen a lot of similarities throughout these bills that are rising um, throughout the states. I tend to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I tend to try to say, okay, well, this is what they're trying to do. And, and I'm looking at this legislation. I'm hearing what you're saying. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what they're doing is they're trying to let their people know that government is there to protect them, that they're going to take care of this problem, that they don't need to worry, that there's penalties for this behavior. And there are times where you can tell they can't see past the end of their nose. They don't see what comes next. They don't see how this will be abused. And there is a lot of potential for this being abused, isn't there? Absolutely. One of what one of the concerns, I think, especially for for our organization, is that the initial Florida outline had RICO and vicarious liability provisions. Now, the RICO is the Racketeering and Corrupt Influence Act, which has been used traditionally to go after kind of the mobsters and the mafia. We've seen it actually used to go after some pro-life organizations in Florida. 
what's really concerning is that if you attach RICO liability and you attach kind of very vicarious liability to as these some of these laws are written or proposed or drafted for anybody who organizes or supports or promotes, you know, a, a riot or an unlawful assembly. So so let's look at, you know, for example, AFP, we sponsor, um, you know, a, a, a a rally against the the infrastructure proposal, you know, against runaway government spending. We promote that. We post it on Facebook. We say, come to the AFP rally and come help tell your legislators that, you know, spending is out of control. It's it's very possible that that somebody who doesn't like AFP sees that rally, attends that rally with nefarious purposes, maybe even wears an AFP shirt. Maybe there's three people they decide to start throwing water bottles at police and rocks and to really start problems, that that protest gets turned into a riot. Now, all of a sudden, AFP can be charged under a RICO provision of really funding and organizing that riot. Wow. Yeah, that is that is dangerous. Let me ask you this. Do we have a a clear line, a clear separation where we say up to this point, this is what we define as a a peaceable protest. After that, that is out of bounds. We don't. And I, this has been really a topic of discussion. I think it's been a nationwide topic of discussion. We've seen it with the kind of the, the quote unquote, mostly peaceful protests. The big thing was the CNN was had the picture of, I think, the burning car behind it and the cryon said, mostly peaceful protests and everyone think you know a lot of people on the right jumped on that and said oh it's if it's a mostly peaceful protest it's not a protest it, i the issue we that i have specifically with a line say it's five acts of of violence or it's a serious act of violence suddenly this isn't a protest anymore is it you really invite a heckler's veto in a sense you invite the ability to someone to say, oh, if there's five acts of violence, if there's five rocks thrown, or if one person charges a police line and punches a police officer, then it's no longer a protest. It's a riot and it gets shut down. And now there's criminal liability could attach to anybody who is attempting it. You invite, I think, people to suddenly break up. Oh, there's a rally there. I don't like that rally. I don't like that group. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to shut them down. Therefore, I'm going to go and I'm going to do activities up to the line. And now all of a sudden I'm turning that into a riot. That's that's the concern. In this sense, it's almost like your pornography example of I know it when I see it. And this is when we really trust when, when we really have to trust, you know, and put this into the hands of police officers and law enforcement officials to track these and then to say, OK, this and, and we've heard that this is no longer a lawful assembly, please, you know, desist. And that's where we, if we have faith in law enforcement to determine when a protest gets out of hand, suddenly becomes dangerous, and then they have the ability to shut that down. I know we're working with partners, there's policing projects, there's a lot to work with law enforcement to say, you know, here's the best way when you've got a First Amendment demonstration, when you've got a protest coming, here's the best way to protect public safety. Here's also the best way to do that while protecting First Amendment rights, ensuring that people have the right to peaceably protest. So I, I think more education, 
more working with law enforcement, I think would really help with that, with that issue. Is this an issue of, of different perspectives from, from more of a collectivist perspective to an individual perspective? And, and let me explain what I mean by that. When you write these laws, is it a matter of saying, if this happens then the whole group is liable versus we should arrest anyone who violates the rights of someone else and that person is responsible for their actions, not the whole? It seems we could solve a lot of this problem just by taking a more individual perspective on these things and saying people who violate the rights of others, they're responsible for their actions. The people around them who aren't violating the rights of others, they don't need to be arrested, and we don't need to take down this entire protest because of the actions of a few knuckleheads. Is that just too simplistic? Am I am I just being pie in the sky there? No, I think that's, that's exactly right, Dwayne. I think that... Here's another issue with a lot of these, these, these protests, these anti-riot bills we see, is it is already illegal to punch a law enforcement officer. It is already illegal to loot a CVS. It is already illegal to burn down a Wendy's. We don't need additional laws that this underlying conduct is already criminal. We need kind of better enforcement of the laws we have. And I, I, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that if you attend a peaceful protest and you throw a rock through a CVS or you throw a rock through a Bank of America that you should get off because that's protest activity. I think you should be arrested. If you are there and, and violating the law, you should be arrested. The problem comes when we're simply criminalizing attending a riot, which is, is unclear. I think we, we arrest the rioters. We charge people with breaking the law individually. I think that's exactly right. What else is there about protest and, and anti-riot legislation we need to talk about? I feel like we've only scratched the surface. You said you had like 10 laws, and I think we talked about one. Yeah, so there's the RICO. Um, the RICO liability is a, is a serious issue that we've seen pop up, this vicarious liability. A lot of times people will try to use it to go after groups that they don't like. Um, and that's another of that vague language where we saw this with some of the critical infrastructure protection bills you saw a lot of these these vague laws south dakota was one that was actually struck down by a judge because they used vague language of any group that supported a protest that turned into a riot could be held liable it, the law was vague enough that if you handed out water bottles at a protest like the standing rock protest if you handed out water bottles to those demonstrators and then one person decided to say pop a fence and go and tamper with, you know, a, a critical infrastructure facility, the group that handed out that water bottle would be held liable for the criminal activity of really trespassing and damaging the property. So that's really the concern with these is that they're vague enough and they're really, in some instances, they're written to target specific organizations. It sounds like, and I know I'm not, I'm, I haven't spent as much time with the free expression team as maybe I should. But it sounds like what we're talking about here are passing unnecessary laws that are problematic and they're unnecessary because all of these things are already against the law and they just need to be enforced. And maybe the problem, you know, this is another instance where I see different priority initiatives overlapping. You know, we, we talk about over-criminalization and the criminal justice reform. We've got police officers who are who are enforcing all kinds of different laws that probably shouldn't be laws, and so they're stretched thin. 
and maybe there are not the resources that they need to police a, a protest effectively. That's not the police officer's fault. Again, we go back to the legislators. Why are you having these people do so many different things when they shouldn't be? There are other things that could be they could be doing, other people that could be doing the same the things that they're doing. But it seems like we just keep passing laws and thinking that's going to fix it. And that is not the solution, is it? No, it's not. And especially when when these laws are... Some of the worst legislation that I review is when somebody has a, an, an issue really... And a lot of times it's, it's speech or it's a group that they don't like and that they see problems with that. So they want a, a bill to target that group and to target that activity. And that's not just the way that laws work. You can't write a law that targets one group, that targets one group of speakers. It has to be general applicability. And that's really when we get the worst laws. And I, I think in this case, again, you saw in some instances, there's rightfully concern when you see the violence and what's happening in cities like Portland or in a city like, like Kenosha, where you don't want that to happen in your community. The problem is overreacting, not enforcing laws that are in the books, and really writing a law to try to make that not happen. Uh, and then you sweep in a whole lot of First Amendment protected activities. And in a lot of cases, you chill speech with various provisions that I can continue to get into. What is our vision for this area? I think our vision is that we would have every American freely in the ability to exercise their First Amendment rights to petition, to peaceably assemble, and to, you know, be able to freely speak and to gather in, in public. And when those get out of control, and if there is lawless activity and rioting, that police recognize that and go after those individuals. It sounds like what you're saying is our vision is basically uh, respect the First Amendment and the proper role of government. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty simple. <laughs> and and don't chill speech make sure that that make sure it's not mutually exclusive that we protect businesses and we protect communities and we protect first amendment rights and it it is and it's it's remarkable if you look at kind of the history of our country we our our protests our rallies have gotten more peaceful than they were say 100 or 200 years ago so respect the first amendment have the proper role of government equal application of the law equal justice Sounds pretty simple. Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> yeah, if you had that answer right, you'd be uh, you'd be running things. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that some of these that pop up, we may not see them as, as a threat. It, sometimes it's oh, that doesn't seem like a big deal. What's the issue? And so one of the provisions that we see that I, I want to highlight that I think when you think through the implications, you see how it really is a chill on First Amendment activity. And that's this waiver of really sovereign immunity for communities. So what this does, this provision in these bills, is it says that if a, if a city, if a town, if a community is found um, you know, grossly negligent in allowing a riot to happen or allowing an unlawful assembly to happen, that there now can be sued and they're on the hook for wrongful death lawsuits, for property damage lawsuits, and for personal injury lawsuits. Now, the issue when you think this through is, okay, so you're you're the mayor of a town, you hear there's a, a Black Lives Matter rally coming to your town, or say there's a you know an anti-government protest coming to your town, or whatever it is, and 
you're worried that this could turn into to a, a riot, but but more so, you're worried about all of the legal liability you could incur if this turns into a riot. You're a lot more likely to put law enforcement to put everybody on a really short leash and say, hey, if this looks like it's about to get under out of control, we need to shut this down immediately. Because you'd much rather be on the hook for a First Amendment violation than you would for all of the wrongful death or property damage or personal injury lawsuits. So what this really does is it encourages communities to stifle protests and to really discourage people from speaking. That ma- that makes sense. You could get that overreaction that any slight thing that you see, stop it right then. And that could violate people's rights. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we would rather violate. We, we, we would rather stifle a few voices and chill a little speech than, yeah, be on the hook or yeah have, have the national implications of what, what our city looks like. You know, a, another thing in line with this is we've seen the waiver of a waiver of liability for people that hit protesters or rioters with their car. So if people are, are blocking a roadway and a motorist is in imminent fear of their life, they're kind of free to run over rioters or protesters, which is another really problematic provision that we see that really only adds to the divisiveness of, of, of the issue. How is that How is that problematic? Because I know there are folks who are going to hear this and say, look, if I'm in my car and my family's with me and we get surrounded and I fear for them, I should be able to, to just flee. How is that problematic? By doing blanket immunity for kind of any motorist, I think that that doesn't encourage people to act in the best way for everybody involved. You know, I understand if there's a mob surrounding your car and it's a family, you're going to go. And I would think that if that happens and you get arrested, that the fact finders that a jury would say, whether that's self-defense or whatever, I mean, we're getting a little bit more into criminal justice, which is not my issue area. But I I think by just allowing kind of this blanket thing, I just... I don't think we should say anybody that runs over somebody who's blocking a roadway or is part of a ride, if you're a motorist, you're okay. It goes back to the fact that there are already laws that that protect this. There are already laws that say you have the right to flee. You have the right to defend yourself. We don't, excuse me, need another law that says, oh, by the way, in this one specific situation, you have immunity to do these things. There are already laws on the books, and it's almost like, we see every every problem as a nail, so we just bring out the same hammer, a new law, when that's not what's needed. Exactly. And we certainly, I, I think it sends a message coming from the government that, that anybody blocking the roadway could potentially be, be a danger to you and your family, and anybody could be part of this riot. And, you know, I, I, I think it sends the wrong message, and I don't think it protects protesters and First Amendment rights. Are there any other threats to free speech that, that you're seeing from legislation that Maybe we don't recognize his threats. The waiver of public benefits, and in one sense it was public employment, is where I've I've heard feedback from from some, including legislators, who say, well, if you're on government assistance and you participate in a riot and you're out there on the town and you're looting and you're burning things down, we shouldn't give you government assistance. The issue is, one, the vague definition of these Two is that say you're you're on, say you're you're in you're in public housing, or you know you're on WIC or Stamp and you need that to feed your family and to house your family, or you're on unemployment. And now the law is passed that if you get convicted of 
participating or attending a riot, you lose your government benefits. The issue is if you're at home and you've got a family and, you know, say there's a protest that really matters to you, there's a rally that you really want to attend. You're going to think twice because if that rally, you know, is deemed an unlawful assembly or if that rally is deemed a riot, and you get caught up in that, you lose your benefits. So then the calculus in your brain is, I would rather make sure that my family is fed, that I'm taken care of, than exercise my First Amendment rights. So I'm just not going to choose to participate in that protest. And and that's a problem, because everybody should be free to gather together, to peaceably assemble, to petition their government, and to exercise their, their free speech. And I think even more egregious example of this was in Florida, it was not only government benefits, but it was government employment. So if you were a government employee and you were convicted of, of participating in a rally or participating in a riot, excuse me, then you would not only lose your government employment, but use a lifetime ban on ever working for the government again. I, I think one of the best examples of this is you, you look at teachers. I, was it within the last five years? I know we've seen these a lot of teacher demonstrations where you saw groups of public school teachers that would march that would that would march to the government and, and they protested teacher pay and said we want higher salaries now if you march and that teacher rally you know this protest this this demonstration petitioning your government for higher teacher salary if that gets deemed an unlawful assembly and you're arrested you lose your teacher job and then you're forever banned from being a public school teacher in that state again. Now, again, what that does is it makes you think twice. If you're a teacher and you want to attend an education rally, but you're concerned what could happen, you would just rather sit at home and protect your job than exercising your First Amendment rights. And nobody should ever have to choose that I would rather have a job than exercise my First Amendment rights. You know, another provision that we've seen that's very popular is kind of delay of bail. So anybody who's arrested in these in these unlawful assemblies, anyone who's arrested for violating these new laws are held in jail and not released until they have a bail hearing, until they see a judge. So you get caught up in this, you get arrested. Now, all of a sudden, you're sitting in jail for at least a night. Again, there's a big chill impact on speech. That if you don't want to sit in jail for a night, there's another issue with just simply jail crowding. It was in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was this previous fall or summer where you had a group of people who were marching on a roadway and they got arrested for demonstrating and blocking a public roadway. I think there were 150, um, over 100 people that got arrested because there were that many people. And with the COVID restrictions, it took over eight to 12 hours for these people to be processed through the jail because they just didn't have the staff. They didn't have the the capability to process these people quickly. Now you're not just processing these people, you're holding them in jail. We're looking at overcrowded. We're looking at a, a lot of issues. You know, another provision we've seen that has gotten a lot of pushback is it, a lot of these bills will tack on kind of a, a, a back the blue or a, to help the police officers, Uh, you know, if you distract them from doing your job, you're in violation. Uh, In a couple of these, and I forget the state off the top of my head, but there was one that made taunting the police um, a a crime. So you think, you know, if, if you are, 
if you're at a, you know, in a lot of these, a lot of these protests we saw were really against the police, the George Floyd protests, you know, we saw a lot of anti-police messaging. Now, all of a sudden, that could be taunting the police. If you're saying defund the police, if you're holding a sign that says defund the police, you could be taunting the police. You could be distracting them from their job. And, and again, that's just a, it's, it's just a horrible proposal that, that chills lawful speech. Thanks again to David for taking the time to join the podcast. And if you have any questions about this part of the Free Expression Priority Initiative or any of the other PIs we've talked about before, please send them to me at toppriority at afphq.org. I look forward to reading them. And if you haven't taken time to leave a review of the podcast, please consider doing that now on whatever service you're using. Until next time, take care, and we'll see you then.